Good morning, and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. Each week, members of the Jewish community read a selection from one of the books of the Torah. There are 54 selections available to the Jewish community, which uh, accommodates the uh, varieties of the uh, Hebrew calendar, which is a solar lunar calendar and takes into account those holy days and festivals that might fall on a Shabbat, which calls for the reading of a special parasha, not necessarily the one assigned uh, in order of by tradition. This week's parasha is known as Chaye Sarah, which uh, translates as the life of Sarah, and begins in Genesis 23, verse 1, and continues through Genesis 25, verse 18. Even though it is uh, entitled Chaye Sarah, the parasha begins by telling us that Sarah dies at the age of 127 and is buried in the cave of Machpelah, in Hebron, which Abraham purchases from Ephron the Hittite for 400 shekels of silver. In addition, this is the parasha in which we read of the uh, more well-known story where Abraham asked his servant Eliezer to go to Canaan to find a wife for his son Isaac. And at the village well, Eliezer asked God for a sign as to who he shall pick. And when uh, maidens come to the well, he will ask some wa- for some water to drink. And the woman who will offer to give his camels drink as well, she'll be destined for, to be the wife of Abraham's son, Isaac. The Rebecca, the daughter of Abraham's nephew, Bituel, appears at the well and seems to fit all the criteria. Eliezer is invited to their home where he repeats the story of the day's events. And subsequently, Rebecca returns with the Eliezer to the land of Canaan, where they encounter Isaac walking in the field at night. Isaac marries Rebecca, loves her, and is comforted, according to the text, over the loss of his mother. This very uh, unusual parasha concludes with Abraham taking a new wife, who is called in the Torah Keturah, though some commentators think that she might be Hagar, the maidservant, who in a previous parasha gives birth to a son called Ishmael, but they are expelled from their home. Um, Abraham uh, fathers six additional sons, the text tells us, but Isaac is designated as his only heir. Abraham dies, according to the Torah, at 175, is buried beside Sarah, 
and his two eldest sons, Isaac and Ishmael, um, appear together for the last time in the Torah, for the first time as adults, and attend the funeral. With me this morning to discuss um, a few of the salient points of this week's parasha is Rabbi Jack Luxemburg, the uh, Rabbi Emeritus of Temple Beth Ami in Rockland, Maryland. He served as senior rabbi of the congregation for more than 35 years. Uh, rabbi Luxemburg has been active in the Maryland, Washington, D.C. area having served on the executive committees of the Jewish Community Council, the Jewish Social Agency, um, the Mid-Atlantic region of the Central Conference of American Rabbis, the National Rabbinic Cabinet of the United Jewish Appeal. He was founder and vice president of the suburban Maryland chapter of the American Jewish Congress and served in that organization as president of the National Capital Region. He is uh, dedicated to uh, liberal Judaism and its place in the land of Israel and served as uh, vice president of ARTSA, the Association of Reform Zionists in America, and uh, associate chair of ARTSENU, the worldwide organization for um liberal Jews throughout, liberal Zionism throughout the world. He is the only rabbi in the Maryland, Washington area to have completed a study grant from the March of Dimes to train at George Washington University Hospital in the field of human genetics and human counseling um, of genetic problems. And he received his doctoral degree in pastoral theology from Wesley Theological Seminary. One could go on about his accomplishments, but his greatest accomplishment is um, nearly uh, 50 years of marriage to uh, Barbara Edkin, his wife, and the two sons, Daniel and Michael. Rabbi Luxemburg, welcome again to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. Well, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for the generous introduction. As um as I think it was Lyndon Johnson once said after having received something similar, uh, he thanked the, the person introducing him and said, you know, uh, uh, my father would have enjoyed it, but my mother would have believed it. <laughs> well, um, the listeners might not know whether to believe it or not, but those who know you throughout um, the rabbinic world and those who know you in the Jewish world would believe all of it. All right, well, thank you. It's very generous. I want to begin by calling to our attention to our listeners a very strange um, confluence of events between last week's parasha, um, which is known as Vayera, and this week's parasha. At the very end of last week's parasha, Genesis 22, um, we have read what is known in Hebrew as the Akedah, the binding of Isaac. In some traditions outside the Jewish community is known as the sacrifice of Isaac. And at the very end of that interesting story, 
Abraham does not offer his uh, son as a sacrifice to God, and he walks down the mountain um, very differently than he walked up the mountain, where we're told that Shneham Yachdav, that the two of them walk together and they walk down the mountain fairly separately. Abraham on a journey to uh, Lechem, Bethlehem, and Isaac, we are not told where he journeyed. Um, Genesis 22 ends, and the first uh, verse of Genesis 23 is that Sarah dies. I would remind our listeners, of course, that when the Torah was written and compiled, um, it was not designated in chapters and verse, uh, unlike we have today. So there seems to be a continuity in the text between what happened um, in Genesis 22 and how Genesis 23 begins. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are in ending this uh, substantive story about Abraham and Isaac with the death of his mother, her, his wife, Sarah? Uh, a, a good question, Rabbi Garten, and one that has uh, challenged our, our sages for, for centuries. Uh, I, I, I'm intrigued personally uh, by those commentaries that suggest somehow a causal connection between uh, Sarah's uh, death and the immediately events recounted in the, in the preceding Parsha. And, 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 and Rashi, uh, the great biblical commentator, uh, suggests that, um, that she dies uh, essentially as a result of, of, of the shocking news uh, that she heard that Isaac uh, was almost kima'at uh, nishchat, that he came with literally a hair's breadth uh, of being slaughtered, uh, that only a, a small matter, uh, in, in, to translate the Hebrew literally, uh, separated him from uh, life and death. Just a reminder to our listeners, um, there is nothing in the text that informs us of whether Sarah knew of this episode. Right, but the rabbis uh, of old, at least some in their commentaries, make an assumption that she receives the news and makes somehow an account of all that has transpired. And, and to her, this is shocking, uh, that, that, her, that while Isaac survived, uh, he came within literally this, uh, to, to, to translate one idiom into another, he came within a hair's breadth. Uh, of dying, and uh, this uh, the contemporary commentator um, uh, Aviva Zornberg uh, says uh, picks up on one of uh, another commentator's term, saying that this causes her to fall into what is a bahala, which is a type of uh, Thornberg calls like a. A, a theological vertigo, uh, uh, you know, saying like so many of us have said, how can this happen? How could this be? And not that Isaac died, but that his life came so close to coming to an end in in, in circumstances that sort of defy our 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 daily understanding. 
and and it it it, it Sornberg suggests that this for for those of us who experience such moments, this puts our understanding and our sense of stability and our sense of natural order of the world very much at at, at risk. And uh, at her advanced age of 127, apparently this uh, this event was so dis, uh, to commentators was so disorienting, so challenging, uh, so uh, contrary. Uh, to the uh, to the world as Sarah had come to understand and know it, uh, that it it, ca- it it caused her death. I mean, she, you know, heart attack, embolism. God only knows what we're talking about here, uh, and I'm sure that he or she does. Uh, but the idea here is that somehow the the and something we've all experienced that we know how tenuous, especially in these last year and a half or so, we've come to appreciate how tenuous uh, so many of the things that we take for granted may be. And we all know how we've been challenged, both uh, not only physically but spiritually by current events. And we can sympathize with Sarah feeling so disoriented and dislocated and and perhaps in some way... connection between the spirit and the body, feeling that she no longer had it a place in the world that was so prone uh, to maintaining its balance and its predictability by only a hair's breadth, by the Varmont. So, I mean, um, raising this question, of course, allows us to think back to um, the Torah's description of the miraculous birth of Isaac, that um, Sarah and Abraham have been married for a significant period of time. Sarah is uh, barren, and then she has a conversation with God, in which God indicates to her that she will have a child, and her first response is to laugh at that. Um, that she is uh, unable to comprehend or internalize the notion that there will be such a miraculous uh, uh, intervention in the normal scope of things. But then she has this child, Isaac, becomes very, very protective of him. In fact, so protective that the text tells us that she forces Abraham to remove Ishmael and Hagar um, so that they are not uh, interfering with Sarah's uh, parenting and which that which she sees as the normal development of Abraham's heir. And then um, all of a sudden, the text switches to this story, which as you and quoting from both a modern and a medieval commentator tell us, this miraculous child of her old age, um, by merely a hair's breath, might have been taken from her. Um, And it dislocates her spiritually. And as you've suggested, how reminiscent this is of how those we have loved during this period of pandemic 
can go from a seemingly wonderfully um, healthy situation to being endangered. Um, and though some will uh, succumb to the uh, virus, even those who don't uh, sub succumb um, can be affected and their loved ones can be affected. Well, I think, and well, I was going to say, yes, I think, I, I think you have a, a very important point here and then points out how often scripture speaks to us in, in our own time and place. Uh, we, we know how many people, uh, while not sick with uh, COVID or, uh, you know, have, have themselves have, have been affected and, and have found so much of what we take for granted uh, called into question. And we discover how tenuous uh, those, uh, those pillars of, uh, of our lives can sometimes be and how easily they can be toppled. Uh, with, you know, with something is called about devar muat, something small, something as small as a as a, a as a virus. Uh, so there is something here for us to think about and 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 to wonder about. But I also think what's interesting here also is that her death is just opposed, as you pointed out, with the emergence of 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 of, of, of Rebecca. And it, it, it sort of comes to um, suggest, you know, that as, as once uh, as, as, as one righteous woman leaves the world, there is established yet another. That uh, and, and and there here is is I think that Torah and the scriptures is speaking to us about the importance of the continuity, if not in the physical life, but perhaps in the spiritual character. Uh, that Rebecca is already in the world and is ready to pick pick up uh, uh, the role of, of, of matriarch in the second generation of of, of the biblical Abrahamic family, uh, and I've always been intrigued by that, as 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 it suggests that to us, uh, you know, Abraham's. Abraham is seeking her out at the end of his life. The Torah says, Avrahamza came babayamim, that after the experience of the Akedah, after the death of Sarah, Abraham, who we've been told is this is incredibly virile, 120 year old man, who will live to be 127, uh, uh, excuse me, 175, uh, is, is suddenly babayamim, and the commentators suggest that he's. Coming to his age, he's beginning. He's beginning to show the the stresses and strains of, of of his life journey. And so, what does he do? He he finds a, a spouse, a fitting, appropriate spouse for his his son Isaac, who is to be his not only his material but also his spiritual heir, and and should be accompanied by a woman of similar spiritual stature. And he. I, I love the commentary that says that he somehow goes and he seeks and he finds this woman, Keturah, who might be Hagar, that he brings her back somehow into the family and uh, and, and creates some type of reunification and uh, recompense for the episode in which she was exiled from the family. And no one, I think, can read this parsha to the end and not be touched with the account of Abraham's death and how Isaac and Ishmael, as you pointed out so eloquently, 
come together uh, to perform the proper burial rites for for their father, and how the you know the descendants of, of Israel and of Isaac and and the descendants of Ishmael, who we think of as as being the Arab peoples and and those who follow the path of Islam, uh, stand side by side and acknowledge their their common origin. And 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 the common spiritual source of their identities, and and it's only you know we I think if we can read this parsha with hope, uh, it's indicative of what we might look forward to amongst our peoples in the future that we should follow the example of our ancestors Isaac and Ishmael and stand together side by side. It is a parsha, as you've pointed out that is very comfortable moving back and forth between the present, the past, and the future. It um, takes for granted that we know of past events. Um, So while it begins with the death of Sarah, it makes a supposition that the reader knew of the story of the binding of Isaac and could make that connection. And then when Sarah dies, um, it tells us about the future, that Abraham um, recognizes that his obligation is not only to mourn, but not to remain so um, uh, encumbered by his grieving that he can't follow through on his obligation um, to actualize the promise of God. Which I can say that, that that's a very nice way to put it, Stan, how uh, even in the midst of his grief, he enters in, into uh, this exchange with Ephraim the Hittite in order to uh, acquire the burial place uh, of, of the Machpelah, uh, the burial cave in Hebron, which uh, Jews, Christians, and Muslims to this day uh, consider a sacred site uh, and, and, and site of, of pilgrimage and prayer. And the fact that he is, and, and the way you put it, in, in terms of establishing and, can, uh, and fulfilling the, the, the promise, the covenant between God and Abraham, not only on the spiritual level, but also on the material level, in terms of Abraham's place in the land. And, and, and I think it's instructive that Abraham doesn't walk into Hebron and say, listen, God promised me this piece of land and I want this over here to bur- is my burial place. But he enters essentially into a well-established pattern of commercial transaction in order that it, the, the text and, 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 and poster- prosperity understand that he acquires the land in, in, in a respectful and, and legal sense. Well, in, in an honorable sense, um, you know, the Torah portion has so many uh, touchstones to our lives today. Um, it offers us this notion of how do we respect the memory of those who have come before us. Um, and in Jewish tradition, as you've pointed out, we... Um, think not only of their life, but the life of their descendants and the future. It touches on values. Uh, The story of Eliezer finding Rebecca is um, 
marked by his desire to have a values test. The woman who comes to the well and offers me water, but not only me, but my camel's water, is the woman who I think will be fit to be the next um, uh, progenitor of my uh, master Abraham's people. Um, And then, as you so wonderfully pointed out, um, Abraham um, having the blessing of God that this land will be his doesn't come to Ephron and say, I have God's uh, deed in my back pocket, but rather uh, I want to purchase this. And when Ephron offers to give it to him, he says, no, 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 I want there to be no confusion about how uh, my descendants and this land feel connected. Um, And then, of course, as you pointed out, we have this wonderful interaction between Ishmael and Isaac, which the text is very clear about them and that there's no animosity between them. And Keturah, who tradition suggests was Hagar, the text doesn't tell us that she's Hagar, but the indication from uh, our rabbinic commentators is obviously Abraham feels a moral obligation to this woman. Um, So the story is just chock full of um, moral implications as well as the literal level of the uh, uh, narrative. You know, I, I think one of the things that, first of all, you know, about watering, you know, offering me water and watering my camels. I mean, Eliezer is setting a very high bar. Anyone who has had any experience on or around a camel knows that these are very difficult animals uh, to to master or to treat or to care for, they're, they're ornery and stubborn and smelly, and you know uh, they may be God's gift to the desert traveler, but they're not necessarily an easily domesticated animal. Uh, and it seems to me that this high bar is sort of saying, I not only is, is, is do I look for a woman who has who has the common sense of uh, of generosity and hospitality, but is also willing to extend that in under to extend it in ways that are inconvenient and difficult. That she does she doesn't shy away from totally caring for this man who's a stranger. And again, I I I, I think how Scripture sort of point you know asks challenges us uh, many times. I'm sure that that each of us and many of your uh, listeners, uh, decent folk, all of them, ha- have found themselves in a position where they could extend a kindness to an individual under easy circumstances, but have been hesitant just, uh, when confronted with an opportunity to extend that generosity in a way that's that is significantly inconvenient, challenging, or, or uncomfortable for ourselves. And some of us, like Rebecca, thank God, have risen to the occasion and met, and met those needs. And some of us, we have to admit, have, have been d- deterred. And so we're looking, so the text in, in a very subtle way is telling us that Rebecca is, 
indeed an extraordinary individual. And tradition has it that, that she, ex that she uh, displays these qualities at a relatively young age. Uh, I'm struck in the few seconds that we have left that we should not um, ignore the fact that the test that Eliezer sets for Rebecca appears to be um, an expression of um, values and the um, desire to have someone who understands their obligations to fellow inhabitants of the earth and is not a theological test. He doesn't really say, I'm only going to pick someone who worships Abraham's God. That doesn't become in the literal understanding of the text part of the test. Um, and that's um, probably a topic for another occasion. Um, my guest this morning has been Rabbi uh, Jack Luxemburg, Rabbi Emeritus of Temple Bethany in Rockville, Maryland, and he's eloquently helped us understand this complicated and challenging parasha. Uh, you can listen to a podcast of this morning's show on chri.ca or on iTunes, where it's available as a podcast. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I want to thank Rabbi Luxembourg. I am Rabbi Stephen Garten, wishing you a good day and shalom. Behold.